Dr. Price found that they had four times the vitamins and minerals of, I mean, four times the amount in the diet of his day back in the United States, and 10 times the fat-soluble vitamins, which are A, D, E, and K. And so in other words, the traditional peoples were eating a better diet than the people around Dr. Price. So check out what he did, Shelley. He decided, once he got back, and I guess he was in the 70s by then, I don't even know, he decided to do an experiment at one school where the children weren't behaving well, where they had all kinds of problems, and just decided to feed them one meal a day that was nutrient-dense. He would make like a stew using a bone broth and some good, you know, pastured meats as they had back in that day, and some nice sourdough bread with a, a thick coat of butter and some raw milk. And the kids from that one meal a day, they saw improvement in the children's behavior and in their health, their attitudes. They were happier. You know, they were nourished. And so this is a word for all of us as we seek to nourish the next generation, our own children, our children at the school or what have you, is that it it may seem overwhelming, but a simple switch can make all the difference in the world. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional caretakers and inhabitants of this land across Australia. Also locally where I stand, the Beerpai people, who continue their cultural practices, wisdom and law. Hi, thanks for tuning in to the Pollination Mamas podcast where we have collaborative conversations cross-pollinating as we span our wings, connecting the threads of ancestral wisdom in a modern context so that we can live a nurtured life. I believe ancestral wisdom provides a roadmap to a regenerative culture, contributing to thriving communities, healing and health. Hi everyone, welcome to another Pollination Mamas podcast. Really excited to have a guest here all the way from the States, who I've just realised I forgot to ask exactly where in the States, we'll find that out soon. I've got Hilda Labrador, otherwise known as Holistic Hilda, on the internet and social media realms. Hilda has a background in fitness and is a health coach and podcasting professional. So I, when I found out those two combinations, were like, woo, um, who has dedicated much energy into researching, living, traveling, learning, listening, and discussing health and well-being with a huge variety of health professionals. Hilda is especially passionate about looking to our ancestors and the wisdom of traditional diets. Inspired by the Western A. Price Foundation philosophy and knowledge, Hilda has ho- now hosts the amazing nutrient-dense podcast, Wise Traditions. With, I think, around 100 or more episodes, I'm still working my way through them. Um, and to quote Hilda off her website, I love this quote, good health does not come in some slick smoothie package or pricey weight loss program. Don't believe the hype. Dietary fads come and go, celery juice anyone we need something that lasts longer and has stood the test of time i love that so thanks so much for being here hilda and you're two days away i believe from coming to australia um, on an exciting tour tracing the steps of western a price and the tour he did back in the 1930s which um i'll get you to explain a little bit about my listeners have heard me talk about Western A. Price um, and Nourishing Traditions and, and the whole philosophy a little bit. But I'd love for you to share 
a little bit of your background, how you came to discover the Western A Price philosophy and this exciting trip that you're about to embark on coming to Australia. I am so excited. Shelly, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. I think what you're doing is critically important because there's not enough information out there, and I mean correct information, on how to best nourish ourselves when we want to get pregnant, during pregnancy, and to raise our children with, you know, strong bones and, you know, all that they need to grow their bodies in the healthiest way. So I'm very excited to be on the show and I have so much to tell you. I hope we can kind of fit it all in. I guess I'll just start by saying you're exactly right. I was just like a regular fitness professional and to the extent that I just thought exercise was kind of the answer to all of our health questions. And then I kind of thought it didn't matter what you ate as long as you kind of burned off the calories. You know what I mean? Um, and then a friend of mine got very, very sick. She ended up with chronic fatigue. Conventional medicine couldn't help her. So she started researching diets. She tried everything, you know, from a macrobiotic diet to going vegetarian to uh, who knows what, probably the celery juice thing. I don't know. <laughs> but the bottom line is, she met Sally Fallon Morell at a health fair. And Sally Fallon Morell is the head of the Weston Price Foundation. And she just didn't know who this woman was at all, but saw that she was glowing with health, an older woman, but glowing with health. And my friend Lisa is her name. Lisa thought, oh my gosh, I want what this woman has. And Sally was very nice. And she shared her book with her, which is called Nourishing Traditions. And this really resonated with Lisa as she looked through it. It was basically saying that all the diets around the world, the traditional diets are good and varied, but they have things in common. So anyway, Lisa started changing her diet to make a long story short, and she started whispering in my ear, hey, this kind of matters. And I was like, oh, this does make sense. I started realizing what we put into our bodies is the fuel to make our bodies go just like the gas we put in our cars makes them go. And maybe we should be putting more time and thought into what we're fueling ourselves with. And that was the beginning of my journey with the foundation. And now here I go, coming to Australia. Yes, I'm going to be in Melbourne and Sydney and Cairns and the Northern Territories in an effort to retrace the footsteps of Dr. Price, who's now my hero. And I can tell you more about him in a minute. But yeah, that's what I'm doing. Wonderful. I am trying as we speak, well, uh, before and after we speak, to get to Sydney for one of your um, talks, actually. Well, that would be fantastic. I hope you can come. And so now, just to fill in your listeners, um, I can tell quickly about who Dr. Price is. He was this amazing man ahead of his time in the 1930s who was a dentist but also a researcher and a scientist who was very curious about the healthiest people on the planet. And this is why it ties back in with your podcast because he was interested in the health of children. And children would come to his dental clinic in Ohio – even though he was really originally from Canada. But so here he was in Ohio. He was seeing these children, and Shelly, they were not well. He was like, oh, my gosh, these children have crowding of teeth. They have cavities. They have behavior issues. And he was trying to figure out what the problem was. At the same time as he was seeing these children in his clinic, he was receiving this National Geographic magazine. Have you heard of that magazine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And most people yeah. have had it and grown up with it around somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Lovely photos, you know, of people around the world. And he would see these people who were like 
hale and hearty and just very strong and fertile and vital. He could just tell by looking at them and being a dentist, he would look at their broad smiles and he was like, whoa, you know, he was really impressed. And he thought, I want to find out, number one, do these people really exist? And number two, if they do, what are they eating? Because they look amazing. And it was quite the contrast with these sickly children in his clinic. So, Back in the 1930s, he embarked on this worldwide tour. It took him like 10 years because he did not, he could not just jump on JetBlue or Qantas, you know, and end up in another part of the world. So here he was with his wife, you know, probably taking the train and taking, going by foot and by horse cart, you know, all these things. He ended up in various places in the world. And what he found was this. He found very healthy indigenous groups of people who were isolated from modernity. So they were still eating their traditional diet. In Alaska, that meant like whale blubber and seal oil, you know, a lot of fish, of course. They couldn't grow anything. It's all ice, you know, over there. (laughs) And then in Kenya, it was different. It was like cows and goats and the blood of the animals and, you know, maybe some wild fruit, but that was mostly meat and maybe some raw milk. And then in Switzerland, it was, you know, dairy. And so it was all varied. And of course, when he came to Australia, he was so impressed by the Aboriginal people and just, he said they were the best specimen of people he had ever found anywhere on the planet. <laughs> um, and they had a varied diet, again, depending on what part of Australia they were in. But their indigenous food, their traditional diet was keeping them strong. So he started realizing, okay, everyone around the world is eating different foods. But the healthiest people are the ones eating their traditional diet. And what does that look like? What do they have in common? And that's when he made like a little list. And that's when the Weston Price Foundation took that list and thought, okay, let's get the word out because people have no idea how to be healthy now. And they're just, you know, bopping onto trendy things, as you were saying earlier, you know, and they just think, oh, okay, I guess I'll go, you know, and uh, be a carnivore, you know, and I guess I'll leave grains behind. And they don't realize some of the treasures that they're leaving behind when they do that. And I I guess I just found that this made a lot of sense to me. And so I've actually been following in Dr. Price's footsteps. I'm probably going to take 10 years too. But I've been to Peru, I've been to Kenya, and I've learned a lot from people who are still living close to the land as Dr. Price found them, and then also from health experts in those countries. So I just think this wise traditions way of living makes all the sense in the world to me. It's super commonsensical, and it has a lot of value for young moms, and that's what I hope to bring to the table today. Yeah, thank you so much. You've touched on so many important points. And the fact that Weston A. Price, I mean, he was quite amazing. He was in his 60s, wasn't he, when he started traveling, which was just phenomenal. And he took his wife with him. And I think he dedicates his book. So I've mentioned this in other podcasts for other people listening. His book that has really kind of set the base for this philosophy is called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, A Comparison of Primitive and Modern Diets and their effects and it's got lots of wonderful photos in there and all of the details the language is a little bit old-fashioned i'll just put that out there he uses the word primitive but he talks about all of the traditional cultures with just so much respect that you see that that just was a side effect of old-fashioned language more than anything and yeah so he originally came to it through dentistry but then discovered all these other health effects which is good because he didn't have a bias so like you said it's so important bringing that to the subject I try to cover which is maternal health and then childhood health 
because he really noticed the effect on the children within the first generation going to an industrial diet. And what I love about it is that um, although paleo can work for some people and some cultures were eating somewhat of a paleo philosophy diet, there was also agricultural diets that he noticed that was still very healthy. It was just pre-industrial, which meant mm-hmm. no refined sugar, uh, no refined carbohydrates, and um, also non-processed fats, which is a huge aspect to it. And like you said, I, I've actually spoke to a few Aboriginal people and a lot of people think, oh, kangaroo, kangaroo, and they think Australian meat. But it was actually the real fatty meat the Aboriginal people loved, which he found as well. Absolutely. You know, and Dr. Price, he was so impressed, like you said, with all of that he saw. And he really came as a learner. So yeah, even though he used the word primitive, he was like, I've come to learn from you. So he was learning from the people he was studying. And then he would send samples back to his lab in the U.S. to kind of compare the nutrient density of the traditional diet compared to what the people of his day were eating. And he found that they had leaps and bounds, much more. Oh, sorry. I have an old-fashioned home phone. Um, Can you hear it in the background? Oh, yeah, I can. (laughs) Can you edit that out? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fine. It's my, uh, yeah, we keep it raw. <laughs> it's all right. Well, we'll just keep rolling then. Um, yeah. It's because actually we're trying to have a landline and avoid some Wi-Fi things. But anyway, be oh, that as it may. Yeah, okay. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Dr. Price found that they had four times the vitamins and minerals of, I mean, four times the amount in the diet of his day back in the United States and 10 times the fat-soluble vitamins, which are A, D, E, and K. And so in other words, the traditional peoples were eating a better diet than the people around Dr. Price. So check out what he did, Shelly. He decided, once he got back, and I guess he was in his 70s by then, I don't even know, he decided to do an experiment at one school where the children weren't behaving well, where they had all kinds of problems, and just decided to feed them one meal a day that was nutrient-dense. He would make like a stew using a bone broth and some good, you know, pastured meats as they had back in that day, some nice sourdough bread with a a thick coat of butter and some raw milk. And the kids from that one meal a day, they saw improvement in the children's behavior and in their health, their attitudes. They were happier. You know, they were nourished. And so this is a word for all of us as we seek to nourish the next generation, our own children, our children at the school or what have you, is that it it may seem overwhelming, but a simple switch can make all the difference in the world. And I will tell a little bit of my story. I did tell you about my friend Lisa, who was telling me you should change and eat this way. I'm a person that was like, wow, I don't want to get overwhelmed. It just seems like so much. And I can explain the principles in a minute, but it just seemed like a lot. So I just picked one thing. I chose to change one thing a year. (laughs) So one year was the year of butter for me. I was leaving kind of that chemical concoction, those spreads that they make that they say are heart healthy, you know, with a lot of soy or who knows what kind of hydrogenated oils. Yeah. I was just like, no, I don't, I'll get away from that. I'll go with real butter. First of all, it tastes amazing. And second of all, it is super nourishing. It's one of the best fats out there. It's like a kind of a complete fat with A, D, E, and K with all those, you know, vitamins. I mean, those, um, 
yeah, those fat soluble vitamins I was mentioning. So I changed. That was the year of butter. I almost felt like, you know, how the Chinese have their calendar, the year of the dragon, the year of the rooster. <laughs> I had the year of butter. And then later I had the year of less processed foods, which again was something Dr. Price noticed was that when we leave the displacing foods of modern commerce, when we go back to whole real foods, there's real nourishment to be found. For example, in the U.S., we're so psyched about chips. We just love chips, you know. Well, you can buy chips in a bag, but who knows what oil that's been cooked with, or you can buy French fries, but they don't use good oils anymore. They use the cheaper oils that have been you know, highly processed and deodorized so that you don't know that they're rancid. So they fool our palate, but our body's not fooled and our body can really have some issues with these poor oils. So what you want to do is buy real potatoes or or buy, you know, real corn and, and make something from that using healthier fats. And so, yeah, again, I just made changes gradually and that worked for our family. And my kids were so happy because I wasn't a big cook and suddenly I was making real food and they were like, wow. And now to this day, my kids are in their twenties now. They're like, oh my gosh, mom, like this is so good. They're, they're used to it now and they're calling for it now. I love that. I love that you just kept it so simple because it can be really overwhelming, especially when you learn all of this and you can get all of the mum guilt or the guilt. And like the last thing we need is more guilt, but I know more changing that perspective to knowledge is power and then doing what you can with what you've got. So I love that story that you just did one a year. I also love that you did butter first because anyone <laughs> that knows me knows I preach the love of butter. Life is better with butter. When I go to <laughs> I'm like six big bars of butter a week. I buy so much butter and I make ghee and I make pate with it and all sorts of stuff. Ah. But yeah, butter is a great place to start. And then it's quite simple Really, you can just be doing simple meals by using butter, like nice sourdough with a big lot of butter or pop some in your porridge or whatever it is. It doesn't need to be. It's really simple food that can be cooked in the traditional way, which I love as well. Yes, and let me tell you, I used to be borderline hypoglycemic. In other words, I would go to teach my exercise class after a little bowl of cereal with a splash of milk and some berries on it. Like I thought that was healthy, right? So I would go to my exercise class and in the middle of the workout, which I was teaching by the way, I would have to stop and grab like a power bar because I would feel a sudden dip in my blood sugar. Like I would feel like, I would feel like really starting to get shaky and weak and sweaty. And I knew it wasn't just because I was exercising. Like I knew something was wrong. So I'd grab a power bar, eat a few bites, and then I would be better and could continue with the class. When I switched my diet to more whole real foods, uh, you know, for example, avoiding cereal, and I would like have, let's say, eggs and sausage for breakfast or some full-fat yogurt, I could sail through till two or three in the afternoon. I was amazed. And so this same thing, you guys, if you see with your children that they're getting cranky after a couple of hours after breakfast, it may just be that they just need a little more fat in their diet. And it's going to do good for you too. And in the U.S., we used to say fat makes you fat. I'm afraid some people still believe that. But the truth is it does not make you fat. It makes you lean because you're satisfied and you don't need to eat as much of the, you know, junk food that's out there to be nourished. Absolutely. Yeah, I had a similar experience. I, um, in my late teens and early 20s, I was vegetarian, then almost vegan because I couldn't handle dairy well at the time. And, and I started experiencing really seriously painful periods. I was starting to get borderline hyperglycemic as well. And I just 
I luckily was living with people who were studying Chinese medicine and they convinced me to eat some meat and some congee and some bone broth and <laughs> I did and immediately like the next month my period was an ease I was buzzing with energy and everything just switched and that was like the big turning point for me but um I've also noticed with my kids as well, like it is a struggle as a mum. So anyone out there going, oh, my goodness, it's so hard just to get my kids to eat well. I get it. And there's little things like I think one of the best ways is breakfast. Start there, like Hilda said. And I put ghee or butter in the porridge. So I make the porridge up. I soak the oats overnight. That's really important mm. to deactivate anti-nutrients in your grains to mm. ferment or soak and get butter in there. And if my kids can eat a good bowl of porridge that's been soaked with some milk or kefir or cream or butter, such a difference in my day. Oh, <laughs> yeah. To eat better, like it sets them so then they eat better all day as well. Oh, excellent. So do you want me to go through some of the principles just to give the listening audience an idea of what we're talking about? Because when you said soaking the oats, this was one of the principles that Dr. Price noticed, that they would take care with their grains, nuts, legumes, and seeds to soak them so that they would get rid of the anti-nutrients so that they could more easily access the nutrients that they did have in them. In other words, when people just eat some randomly processed you know, chips, as I mentioned, or breads, and then they, they don't feel well, they might think it has to do with gluten or with something in the grain. Oh, I guess I'm just allergic to wheat, you know, when in actuality, it may be the anti-nutrients that are fighting the digestive system. Do you see what I mean? So the idea is if, if you can get sourdough bread, which is fermented, or if you can soak the oats before you make that porridge, like this is phenomenal because you are a part of a wise tradition and your body will thank you for it. I know when I was growing up, I'm actually originally uh, from, well, I'm from the U.S., but my mom is from Mexico. My dad is from Cuba. Oh, I love and- it. Yeah, and I remember my mom and my nanny actually making beans, and when they were making beans, they would soak them overnight, and I had no idea why, but they did. You know, it's a tradition from Mexico, and it's funny because sometimes people say, oh, beans make me gassy. Well, it's because they're not soaking them, you know, so that's just one of the simple principles, and there are 11. I won't go through every single one, but I can tell you the first one is one we've already mentioned, Shelly. It is to avoid uh, processed and denatured foods. That's what Dr. Price called them. So because he was actually able to see, again, indigenous people groups that were untouched by modernities, that you had to get to their little village by foot because there was no way to get there by, you know, a horse-drawn cart or anything. So they were isolated, eating their traditional diets. But he also saw people who weren't isolated and who were able to get flour and sugar and, uh, you know, foods from the city, even from those days that weren't that good for you. And he could see the difference in the health of the adults who were eating that way, but also in their children. And he um, took a lot of photographs. And this is one of the things you mentioned in that book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. You can see the photos of the people whose diet had changed to the modern diet and um, how they're suffering with all kinds of cavities and they just don't look as healthy or as happy. And you can also see pictures of the children. Interestingly, 
um, for those who are listening who are like, oh my gosh, I've already had my children and I don't know if I can, you know, switch to traditional foods. There's actually some documentation in that book of a mom and husband who switched their diet after they had had a couple of kids. And the ch- the next child born had a um, better start, if you will. And uh, this is just to say, you know, when we know better, we can do better, you know, wherever you're at, um, because it was really exciting. I think they had some kids who had some problems, deformities with their feet and this and that. And the third child came out amazing to the same set of parents. And the only variable that changed was the diet. So again, if people listening are like, oh, I don't even know about all these principles, just make that one switch of trying to move toward more whole real foods and avoiding the packaged foods. If it's packaged and it says healthy on it, you can probably bet that it doesn't, it's not so. (laughs) (laughs) Probably bet that they're just advertising it as such and you're better off with the whole real food. And then I think the second principle actually has to do with, um, I think it's animal, animal products. So yes. And that goes with what you were saying. I'm so glad, you know, (laughs) Um, but yes, that's right. And I I usually have a memorized bit and I get a little nervous, but I guess I missed it. But the point is he was actually, Dr. Price was disappointed because he thought he would find some people who didn't eat any animal products and he did not. And I guess, I don't know why this was his greatest disappointment. I guess maybe he just had his hopes up that he was hoping there were some people on plant-based diets out there, but they weren't there. So what does this tell us? And actually, if you think about it, yes, um, you know, traditional peoples were agriculturalists, they were farmers, even the Aboriginal people, I understand, had some systems for tilling the land and, you know, growing some food. And that's fantastic. But before that, probably a lot of people were just hunting and eating the animals and going for the fatty parts. So uh, this is what Dr. Price observed. And it makes sense nutritionally too, because our bodies need the strong nutrients that come from animal products. And I, this may disappoint some of your listeners as well. And I, I hate to break it to them, but at the same time, it's my joy to tell them this because they may find as you did just in how they feel that their bodies will thank them, you know, and I'll just go with one vitamin right now, uh, vitamin A, for example, people say, oh, that's my dog. Sorry. (laughs) Um, But people say, oh, you can get vitamin A from carrots or, you know, from these other plants. When the truth is, it's only the precursor to vitamin A that comes out in those plants. What you really get vitamin A from is from liver or butter or fish eggs, you know? So um, I don't think we should uh, push aside the very things that our ancestors treasured. Absolutely, yeah. And a lot of those diets had a different philosophy on the way that they um, really appreciated and honoured the animal for giving them that life force. I think somewhere we've lost that as well. And I was also really disappointed when I discovered my health was suffering from not eating enough animal products. But I really try to get people to just be open as well, maybe start with bone broth or start with some eggs or whatever it is. And I'm so glad you brought up vitamin A because, yeah, like you said, it's a lot of people think there's a lot of vitamin A in plant foods, but like it's only a precursor and you really need that animal source of vitamin A to get the full um, health benefits from vitamin A. And it's hugely important for the immune system. And then it's hugely important to have it in combination, as you mentioned, A, D, and what Western Air Price called the Activator X or something like that turned out to probably be vitamin K2. And those three things are all found in animal fat. They're a fat 
um, soluble vitamin from animal products. And the other thing and I learned recently is that um, you need vitamin A to process protein, whether you're eating meat or not. A lot of people eating meat are eating lean meat. And if you're not, if you're eating too much lean meat, you're drawing on your stores of vitamin A to, to process the protein, to be able to utilize it. Um, and that's why most cultures had lots of fat with their meat because they were bringing in the vitamin A and the fat with the protein and therefore keeping their immune system well. So that's where I think we're seeing these health problems with people eating meat but not eating enough fat. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's so true. And I have a little story. So I was actually born with a birth defect. And um, my mom was exposed to the German measles when she was pregnant with me. And the doctors told her, oh, my gosh, your child is going to be born with some serious birth defect. And it was true. I was born with a hole in my heart, um, which was repaired by open heart surgery when I was nine. And when I was talking about this with the head of the foundation, she said, you know, if your mother had had sufficient vitamin A, you might not have been born with that birth defect. And it was so mind-blowing to me because I had never put two and two together because the first organ to be formed in a baby is the heart and vitamin a helps with that you know for it to grow properly and so that was just you know blew my mind i do not i'm not resentful against my mom and again i'm not trying to make anyone feel bad who's listening but i'm just saying if you're pregnant or hoping to get pregnant make sure to have sufficient vitamin a and yes look for those fats those animal fats so that your body can give the fetus and the baby the the proper building blocks yeah, I'm so glad you reminded me of that story of yours. It's really powerful and um, so what a wonderful outcome, but what an awesome lesson and message that you can carry with mm -hmm. that as well. And I'm glad you brought up the defects because a lot of kids now, um, as Western A. Price discovered the uh, dental deformities, a lot of kids are having, um, still having crowding and braces are sort of the norm and it costs a lot of money as well. So this is, could be a money-saving um, <laughs> knowledge point. But also what's happening then from the teeth are deformed because the bone structure isn't forming properly. And then the top of the mouth and the way that that bone structure, I don't have all the technical language either, so I like to keep it simple, but it's affecting the sinuses and the airways. And so kids aren't breathing properly. And therefore, that, it's sort of like a negative feedback loop when they're not breathing properly. That's impacting the bone structure to grow in childhood. And then that's impacting the teeth. So it's it's kind of feeding into um, itself. And there's a wonderful functional dentist here in Australia, Dr. Stephen Lynn, and he discovered Western A. Price. He was a dentist and he was questioning his career and he discovered the whole Western A. Price Foundation and now he really incorporates that into his practice. So if anyone's listening, there is some things you can do. If you look up functional dentists, they can help um, kids to retrain them to breathe properly, change your diet to like whole foods and good fats, and, um, yeah, you can actually do a lot even when a child is, say, 9, 10, 11, 12 or earlier. The earlier, the better. Yes. And, Shelley, guess what? I'm going to do a Facebook Live with Stephen Lynn oh. when I'm in Sydney. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> when I get that date, I'll, I'll send it to yes. you so you can tell your listeners. And the other thing is I've actually interviewed him for the Wise Traditions podcast, oh, and I think perfect. he's simply phenomenal. And I love that you had a word for those who have older kids. I also want to just tell any women who are hoping to have a baby that – 
I know when I was pregnant, they, or, you know, early on, they just threw some supplements at me and were like, take these prenatal vitamins with A and D. Well, the thing about those, first of all, a lot of times those vitamins are synthetic. So they're not going to be giving your baby the proper building blocks. Uh, But the other thing is what you really want to do is, yeah, we have one chance. What I'm trying to communicate is we have one chance to really help the baby in the womb when they're inside. Um, and you want to really make the most of it by yourself eating nutrient dense foods. So we would definitely recommend, you know, eating a diet, um, high in animal products. Um, I, and like I said, vitamin A can be found in liver and fish eggs and, um, um, beef, obviously, raw milk, you know, and I I just want to take a moment to also say, I guess I have a lot of thoughts in my head, but let me just say this too. What Dr. Price noticed when he went around the world also is that when people were preparing for pregnancy, they had special foods that they would eat. I'm not talking about once they were pregnant. I mean when they were preparing. So in the South Sea Islands, for example, uh, they would try to get the fish eggs to both the man and the woman who were in the childbearing years. So this is something we don't talk about much, but pre-pregnancy preparation is also valuable. So if you're just listening, thinking, oh yeah, I hope to be a mom one day. Well, this is a great time to shore your body up with the good nutrient-dense foods so that you can bear a child and not have any miscarriages or complications down the line. So um, there, so it was also in Peru, the people in the mountains would make provision to get fish eggs from down by the water, you know, and they would work it really hard to get the fish eggs up to the women up in the mountains. Isn't that interesting? They would go that far. And I believe in some parts of Africa too, the couples would only marry in the spring when they knew they could get butter from the cows that had been grazing on the new green grass. So they were doing things ahead of time to get the best into their bodies before they even conceived. So yeah, before conception, during pregnancy, and once the kids are growing, like the idea is nutrient density. That's what we're going for. Absolutely. Yeah. It's almost like there's a spectrum of fertility that pre-pregnancy, and, and I love those stories. There was, if someone, if there was a wedding plan, they would start feeding the man and the woman, or the mm-hmm. woman and I should say, and the man, it was, it was always <laughs> focus on the woman, but both equally in these high fertility foods, especially the woman. And then through pregnancy, postpartum, and like you said, into childhood. And so, yeah, you start wherever you are in that spectrum of fertility. And nutrient, we know now, I love like marrying the modern, um, the traditional knowledge of the modern. We know now that the needs for nutrition go up postpartum as well. So there's always so much focus on the pregnancy, have your pregnancy vitamins, and then they sort of like get left on the bench or chucked out once baby's out, like I've done my work here. And, um, <laughs> and but breast milk is, breast milk is best um, if you can and you have that capacity, but it is also more nutrient dense if you're eating better. So there's this kind of false belief out there that breast milk is breast milk and it's not the case. So the more fatty food, good fats and um, vitamins you're eating will come through the breast milk. But I love that idea that I have this concept that you start fertility even before the marriage, you start fertility foods mm-hmm. before and you carry them on. 
And Absolutely. I interviewed Lily Nichols as well. I'm not sure if you've heard of her. She wrote a book, Real Food for Pregnancy, and she's a real research buff, which I love. And I'm always, I said to her, I love that you do that because that is not me, but I love <laughs> you then put that into a format in a book. And she talks a lot about the A, um, the AD and K, but also B12 and how important that is in fetal development and can really only, you can only get enough um, from animal products. But also what she does is debunks the current standards of how um, how much of each nutrient we should have and it's too low. So there's been lots of, re- she looks at lots of research papers and most things are too low. What we actually need is way higher and that correlates with what, Western A. Price found is that these cultures were eating these nutrients in much higher quantities. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, vitamin B12 because that's found in liver in particular and very high quantities. And it's a mood booster as well. And, you know, people suffer from postpartum depression, and you shared an alarming statistic with me before we began rolling about a high suicide rate after mothers have given birth within the first year, and that's the leading cause of death yeah. in Australia yeah. for yeah, moms. First year. Yeah, it's really sad. It's, it's yeah, a huge um, motivation for me to create postpartum care culture and revitalization that, again, all cultures had. It's just, it should be a national emergency, <laughs> really, but there's so many of those aspects showing that these alarm bells going off in our society of where we've gotten a little bit lost. And B12 and- is a huge, um, it's hugely important for the nervous system, not only for nervous system development for infants, but also for the mothers. And same with the fat-soluble vitamins, they're hugely important for the nervous system. And I just think childbirth and sleep deprivation and the huge transition is so such a toll on the nervous system and if the nutrients aren't there as well although you need social support a huge aspect of um of how our brains change also after birth they've seen that uh we're probably drawing a lot of our fat from our brain to give to the baby if we don't have enough and then that's causing what we know as baby brains and then we need to replenish in omegas and things like that and um yeah there's probably a lot of mums that are just like sleep deprived and nutrient deprived there's another doctor in australia dr oscar therilak who wrote the postpartum depletion cure who mm. notices is the gp and um yeah, I think we just need to be doing prevention rather than it's great that we're, he's talking about repletion, but if we can get yeah. and be topping mum up before, during and after. And I have to say, I remember those days. I had four kids in five years. I wasn't really big on spacing. <laughs> so I had my four kids really, really close together and I was wiped out. And if someone had said to me, you know, start eating liver or something like that, I would have been like, you're crazy. It doesn't taste good. You know, it would have been too much for me. So I suggest maybe starting with some simple steps. Like, I don't know if liverwurst is available in Australia, but I find that quite tasty, you know, on some kind of sandwich or in a salad. It's just a more palatable or a pate. That might be a way to start. Or you actually can get uh, liver supplements. Just make sure that they are really liver and not some, you know, synthetic liver substitute, you know, or imitator. Um, But I think some people I know also actually will prepare liver or get it 
raw and cut it up and freeze it and then take it like that. So whatever you can manage, but find a way to get this amazing superfood really in your diet. Absolutely, yeah. And if you don't, you um, don't have feel like you have the energy and time to make anything with liver, find really well-made products. Like you said, the liverwurst is a great idea. I hadn't thought of that. Pate is wonderful. I make. I think it's a pretty good pate. I get good feedback. <laughs> <laughs> I, I make it really palatable with cream and butter, so it's it's not a really strong liver taste. And I put lots of my homegrown herbs like tarragon and things like that in there. I love the idea of freezing little bits of liver. I had forgotten that. I read that, and then um, and then yeah, you've reminded me. And I love that you're bringing up those ways. Just start with a little thing. Liver is a wonderful thing. Eggs, eggs are huge um, way to get a lot of nutrient in a small little dense um container of the one yes yes eggs are my favorite such a nice gentle way for people to start you're getting the fats you're getting the minerals from the bone broth and you can make plant-based like meals with the bone broth you can make your soups and your stews and and you could do um like a noodle soup or you can be so creative Uh, you can do risotto with bone broth too that's right and the butter And I don't know if your listeners have noticed, but we haven't really talked about things you need to avoid other than processed foods. And why is that? It's actually because the Wise Traditions Diet includes everything on the table. Like everything that's whole and real and good that grows on this green earth is good to eat. In other words, you know... um, Paleo is very trendy in the U.S. right now and keto and some of the people that espouse these diets or take on these diets are big on, um, let's say, avoiding carbs or avoiding grains or dairy or if they eat meat, it's lean meat, you know, but we're like, no, 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 you actually don't need to avoid grains. Just make sure they're properly prepared. And in terms of dairy, raw is actually best. You know, I know some people are afraid of that. This could be a whole other topic, Shelly, someday. But we, it's a real food with active enzymes. And, and yes, there may be some pathogens in there, but there are stronger, healthy bacteria that battle them and keep them kind of at bay so that it's a very safe product to ingest. And so we're big on, yeah, dairy and grains and the whole gamut of foods that are available to us. So this is what I love about the Wise Tradition diet is that everything's on the table yeah it's very flexible and i love sally's book nourishing traditions and there's a lot of plants and vegetables and fermented vegetables in there as well and sprouts and nuts and grains that are soaked so i love that you mentioned the paleo keto thing because the nourishing traditions diet is much more flexible some people might get a lot from having a phase of keto or paleo or even some people who aren't in their fertility years might get something out of doing a very plant-based fast because vegan um, diets and plant-based diets are often somewhat putting your body into a little bit of a fast because they're not getting mm-hmm. those fats. And that could help you for a while in a short period, but then in the long term, I love that the traditional diet is flexible with all the foods, like you said, all the real foods coming from like carbs to fats to, to plants to vegetables and it's just about getting the right ratio of those and also um, preparing them in the right way and starting simple, like you said. Also, I really wanted to touch, you mentioned quickly um, 
Charles Spacing. Can you just tell us a little bit about what uh, the philosophy is behind Charles Spacing? Because I also had three in five years. My, <laughs> my first passed at birth. So I started motherhood in a really stressed state and I've done a lot of work through, um, you know, emotional well-being as well as health, but I'm still doing my repletion. So, yeah, I really understand how it feels to be in it. And I yes. really I, I felt a bit rushed. I think sometimes when we come to motherhood a bit late, I was in my early 30s, I felt like I had to quickly do it before I got to 40. Um, but ideally, <laughs> if you can, there's child spacing. So, yeah, share a little bit about that. Yeah, interestingly, um, again, the whole concept of wise traditions is looking back for clues on how to live today. And now we look at child spacing as what's convenient for me and my career, at least in the U.S., that's how we look at it, you know. And yes, what age am I? How do I want to do it? And in doing this, uh, you know, we think we can take control using birth control, actually. But what happens is those can cause some havoc with our hormonal health and our fertility, actually. So we had to be really careful with that. And that's probably something you've touched on in other episodes. But I guess what I want to get to about child spacing is Dr. Price did notice that there was a trend in many cultures around the world, again, living thousands of miles apart, and yet he would notice that they waited several years between children. So um, I can't give you the exact statistic. In other words, do you wait till the first child is two and then try to get pregnant or is it okay? You know, I mean, all that people will have to read his book or read Nourishing Traditions. I'm sure it's in there too. But the main idea is if you are depleting your stores as you're, you know, creating this new life and then you right away get pregnant, which is what happened to me, actually. I was feeding three people. I was feeding the baby inside me. I was feeding myself. And then I was feeding the one outside me by breastfeeding. And it was a lot on my body. That is a toll. And so you want to start your baby off with uh, good building blocks, as we mentioned. So the spacing that he observed in the various cultures was two to three years. And I guess the way they did it in some of the cultures is they had natural... Uh, you know, birth control, I guess, natural methods. Uh, and some of them used abstinence. Sometimes in some tribes, the men had multiple wives, so they yeah. would just avoid one for a few years yeah. and then go with the <laughs> other ones. Um, and so, and sometimes the woman would just wear a necklace if it was a monogamous monogamous relationship, she would wear a necklace that just let him know that he had to stay away for a little while before, you know, they could try again. And um, this sounds so strange to us, but it was working with the natural cycle, giving the woman's body a chance to restore itself before they started a new life. So yeah, it's very, very interesting. And again, I, I'm not mad at myself. I just did what I thought was best at the time, you know, and I couldn't help. I was very fertile, actually. So <laughs> I guess that's good. Um, and my kids are great friends today. So I'm, I'm happy about that. And I just did the best by them as they got older. But um, if people want to plan ahead, if they give themselves sufficient spacing, they may find that children will be healthier. Mm, yeah. And this ties in with traditional Chinese medicine philosophy. They um, do suggest three years in between to ah. uh, replenish and for yeah, child development all of that sort of thing. Well, thank you so much. I'm very aware of your time. You've shared so much wonderful information and passion. And, um, yeah, so for people out there, just to summarise a little bit, try and start to move away from refined flour and sugar, start to bring in some animal products, whether that's fish, 
eggs, dairy, butter, liver. If you're in your fertility years and wanting to have children, it's really amazing to try and get a little bit of that in. Bone broth especially because mm. the bone broth, you get your gelatin-rich and collagen-rich um, products that come in there as well as the fat. And that's so important for as your body stretches in pregnancy and then opens up in birth, however that is, and then to repair afterwards, the collagen is really important. We see so many pelvic floor issues now. I think one in three women in Australia get prolapse to some degree. Oh. And then lots of wonderful plants as well, just looking for whole grain um, sourdough breads and soaking your oats overnight, some fermented vegetables. I'm going to put heaps of links up on this podcast to get people going. And, and even if you just start looking and reading and like Hilda did, one thing a year, it's so adorable, about <laughs> the year of the butter. <laughs> I know, so fun. Hey, and Shelly, I have another idea too. I just realized on the Wise Traditions podcast, we did an episode for each of the principles. There are 11 principles of the Wise Traditions lifestyle, if you will. So they could actually just listen for half an hour and Sally shares in depth each of these subjects, you know, um, the ferments, which you mentioned, but I failed to mention, you know, a whole episode on broth and how these people ate nose to tail, you know, and, and so on. So that might be an easy way for people to access the information as well. Great idea. Yeah, I love those podcasts. I'm still working my way through, but I have listened to that one. Um, yeah, you've, if anyone's out there, please go and check out the Wise Traditions podcast. How many episodes have you got on there, actually? Over 200. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> You've yes. got a little work to do. It's fine. I know it's a lot. I also just started a YouTube channel because, because I'm coming to Australia, actually, and I thought I'm going to have these amazing interviews with experts, and I want people to see your country, and I might get to connect with some Aboriginal communities as well, and I thought I just want to make a visual medium too. So there's a podcast, and then there's a whole is, the Holistic Hilda YouTube channel if people want to check that out too. Great. Yeah, I'm going to start checking that out. So that's a great note to end on is um, can you tell us a little bit about what sort of topics you'll be talking about? And I'm going to put up the link for your Australian tour because you've got a really huge variety of topics that you're doing all around Australia. And then um, you're heading up north to see some Aboriginal communities that are also doing some great work, I believe. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I'm blown away. So some of the talks are going to be addressed to moms, actually, moms and babies, yeah. how to nourish our children well. I think I'm doing that one in Sydney. I'm also doing one on wellness, wise traditions, and Weston A. Price in conjunction with Dr. Ron Ehrlich, actually. And he wrote, I think, a book about a less stressed life, which is amazing. And then, like I said, I'm doing the Facebook Live with Stephen Lynn, where I think we'll talk about Dr. Price and some of his findings and, and things we can do today, as you were suggesting, to help our children right where they're at. I'm also going to talk about farming a little bit. That's one of the tenets of the foundation. We're big on food farming and the healing arts. And I'm going to be a part of a panel, I think, on uh, on that same topic. So it's just going to be a whole mix. I'm so excited though. And I also, like I said, some interviews. And in the end, I'm going to go to Arnhem Land and to Darwin and um, meet some folks and just learn what I can about traditions that are still being kept there. So it's a very exciting tour, a whole month, which probably still isn't long enough, but it's as far away as I could. It's as long as I could be away from my family. So that's why I have to come back to DC. Actually, I live in DC. Now. DC, Wonderful. Thank you. 
for clarifying that. Yeah. Yeah, how exciting. And then what country is next on your list? <laughs> Retracing the steps. Well, I get the feeling I'm going to want to come back to Australia, actually. (laughs) And if I do, because I can't help myself, um, I'll pop by New Zealand as well, because Dr. Price went to New Zealand as well. He saw the Maori people and, you know, did some work there. So, um, but who knows what's next? But Australia was just on my heart. And I have to tell you, I know that after the U.S., Australia has the second biggest listening audience to the Wise Traditions podcast. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so I was like, kind of flipped. So Australia, then U.S., so. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, I want to get there. I want to get there. So, yeah, that's fine that yours is the other way. So one day you'll have to come here, Shelley. Yes, <laughs> I would love to. I would really Please love do. Please do. I will host you in my home. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so lovely. Well, thank you so much. I think that I would love to have you back on sometime because I feel like there's so much more and maybe somewhere down the track we could have a debrief on your trip Um, because I'm super excited to hear about the projects you visit in the north of Australia. Um, Yes. I'll put some links up. I'll probably post them just individually. There's Heal for Life happening in the north. Um, of Australia where Aboriginal communities are educating people on traditional diets and and having some great results out in their own communities, moving away from health problems like diabetes and things like that. Yes. Um, Yes, please, if you're out there, I don't know if I'll have this podcast ready, but I'm going to put links up beforehand, I think, for your tour. And um, please go and check out Hilda's Wise Traditions podcast. So thank you so much for your time. Have a wonderful trip to Australia. (laughs) I will. And much love to you and to all your listeners. I really appreciate your having me on. And I do hope we get to talk again. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening today. I really hope there was something there for you. Please feel free to head on over to Instagram and Facebook pages, Pollination Mamas, and leave your thoughts, ideas, inspirations, feedback. I'd also really love for this to partly be a collaborative experience for all of you out there listening and to hear what topics, ideas for guest speakers that you might have. And also, if you feel to, I would really appreciate if you head on over to iTunes, Anchor FM and the other platforms and left a review for the Pollination Mamas podcast. This helps for the podcast to be seen more and to get the word out there of these topics that we're all discussing to a larger audience. I found podcasts so helpful to feel a bit more connected to ideas that I didn't realize were um, so common amongst us all so yeah also feel free to share with anyone out there that you feel may gain something from this i also have a sign up on my website pollinationmamas.com where i send out approximately a monthly mail out with latest podcasts sales on my small batch largely homegrown herbal products latest workshops and other thoughts and ideas that i might pop up on the blog occasionally So thanks again for tuning in and hope to have you listening again soon.